let me ask you some questions. How many of you are afraid of spiders? How many of you are afraid of clowns? How about tight spaces or heights? Does anyone have sinophobia? Astrophobia? Let me ask you another question. What are you afraid of that God can't handle? It's easy to forget we have someone with us who is able to conquer even our greatest fears. Each of us are tiny specks in a huge universe that was created by, you guessed it, God. He knows the ins and outs of our lives even better than we do. Oh, and he made the spiders you're afraid of. So when you face your fears, how will you handle them? So let's talk about it. Uh, we're continuing our series called Greater Than. We're talking about how God is greater than any fear that we could ever have or come into our life. And uh, so glad that you're with us. I'm glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family, whether you're here in the room or you are online. I'm thankful uh, for each and every one of you. Max Lucado in one of his books shares the story about a villain. This villain from San Francisco to New York brought terror in the hearts of every person. In the 1800s in the Wild West, there was no one as dangerous as Black Bart. He would rob one stagecoach after another with a hood over his face. That way no one could recognize him. There could be no sketch made of him. There were newspaper story after newspaper story that shared how he would ride on his horse and come against these stagecoaches, how he never fired a shot, never took a hostage. His weapon was fear and intimidation. Of course, years go by. He robbed 29 stagecoaches over 13 years. He finally was captured. And they found out that Black Bart wasn't a bloodthirsty bandit after all. He was just a mild-mannered druggist from Decatur, Illinois. And he didn't ride a horse to go rob the different stagecoaches because he was afraid of horses. He rode on a little buggy instead, and the reason why he never fired a shot was because he never loaded his gun. The noise scared him. But the media had made it bigger than it needed to be, bringing fear and terror to all. Can anyone relate to the story of Black Bart? So we're going to talk about fear today because it seems to be pretty prevalent in our world. We're worried about just about everything. And there was a psychiatric journal that came out a while back that there's over 2,000 different fears that mankind has. 2,000 different fears. 2,000 different things that we're afraid of. And it's a wide range of stuff. For example, there is photophobia. Anybody want to guess what photophobia is? It's the fear of not looking good in a picture. Okay? That's what photophobia is. Kind of like this picture right there. Okay? I don't, I don't know what happened on this particular picture. But it looks like my neck is trying to swallow my entire head. That's what it looks like right there. This is a happy day. This is the day my oldest daughter got married. I'm looking down from the balcony down at my daughter, and they're cutting the cake, and I'm so proud. I just want you to know the shirt was really tight, and the tie was tighter than that. Just want you to know that right now, all right? But there's photophobia, fear of not looking good in a picture. Let me give you another one. I don't even say this one. Well, guess, guess what the fear of this one is? This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. 
And, and I have a cure for this one. Don't eat peanut butter and you'll be fine, right? How about this one? Phobia phobia. That's the fear of phobias. You think I'm making this stuff up? I'm not. And did you know that every fear that we've ever had is a learned response except for two? Uh, they told us that there's only two fears that we're born with, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear that you've ever experienced is a fear that you've learned along the way. And do you know what the greatest fear of mankind is? The greatest fear is public speaking. Think about it. This makes me the bravest man that you've ever met <laughs> on the face of the earth. And the second greatest fear that mankind has is death. Public speaking is number one. We'd rather die than speak in public. I want to help you folks out a little bit with the fear of death. I don't think it's so much the, the death part. It's the dying part that kind of scares us. So let me alleviate a few of your fears by giving you some odds. First odd is this. The odds that you'll survive your first heart attack are 67 in 100. Oh, that sounds great, doesn't it? The first Heart attack, as if there's more to come. That's great, isn't it? How about this one? The odds that you'll die in a car crash is one in 125. I'm not helping any of you right now, am I? The fear is already raising its ugly head. How about this one? The odds you'll be a victim of violence in the suburbs is one in 2,000. The odds that you'll develop a brain tumor is one in 25,000. The odds that you'll die in a fire this year are one in 40,000. The odds that you'll be killed in an airplane are one in 4.6 million. Now listen, none of us can escape death. It's going to come, but we can do certain things to prolong our life. For example, you don't want to ride an automobile because they cause 20% of all fatal accidents. Then also, you don't want to stay at home. I don't care what the stay-at-home order said. 17% of all accidents happen there as well. You also don't want to walk in the street because 15% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. And don't travel by air or rail or water. 6% of all accidents result from these activities as well. In fact, the safest place that you can be is church. Only one one-thousandth of one percent of accidents occur at church. So get to church. It could save your life, okay? <laughs> I'm just having some fun with everybody today. But we have all these fears. And these things, they absolutely scare us to death. And that's why the verse of Scripture that we're going to look at today is a verse of Scripture that I am in hopes that you will memorize, that you will meditate upon this verse of Scripture, that you will let it ruminate in your minds again and again and again. It's one of my favorite passages, Psalm 46, verse 1. Here's what the verse says. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Isn't that a great verse? God is our refuge. God is our shelter. God is our provider. God is our protector. God is our strength. When we don't think we can take another step, when we don't think we can take another breath, when we think that the whole world is out to get us, God is our strength. God is our refuge. He is our shelter in times of trouble. And then the verse goes on to say, we will not fear. 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not be afraid. When the storm clouds blow in, when the thunder begins to crash, shaking the foundations of the earth and the lightning slashes through the sky, we will not be afraid. Right? Right? Not so much. We have this way of taking a fear and allowing the fear to consume us, to control us. And we can find ourselves so fixated on one particular fear that we find ourselves spiraling out of control. Let me, let me illustrate. Nick was a guy who worked on the railroad system. He was a great guy. He was a joy to work with. He always showed up on time, always was conscientious, never was involved in a lot of drama. The only downside of Nick's personality is that, you know, Nick was kind of a glass half full kind of person. You know, he just wasn't very optimistic. He always felt like the next shoe was going to drop. Well, one day the foreman's having a birthday, and so he tells the guys, listen, because of my birthday, I'm going to give you an extra hour off. You can leave an hour early. Well, Nick is so excited, he's got to check on one refrigeration unit. So he goes in this boxcar that's a refrigeration unit, and somehow the door shuts behind him. Well, he begins to panic. And he begins to slam against the door. He begins to yell and he begins to scream. But all the other guys have already left. Nobody hears him. So he beats that door and beats that door until his knuckles are absolutely bloody. He screams out and cries for help until his voice is absolutely hoarse. No one comes to his aid. And he begins to realize that he's freezing to death. He's like, okay, I got to get out of this thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and the more he thinks about it, he takes this thought that he's freezing to death. And he begins to spiral with this thought. And he's just trying to warm himself up in this refrigerated boxcar. And he just can't seem to get warm. About 3 o'clock in the morning, he finds a piece of cardboard, a pen. He writes the following note to his wife. He writes, so cold. Body's getting numb. If I could just go to sleep, these may be my last words. And the next morning when the crew came, they opened up the boxcar, the refrigerated unit. And sure enough, Nick was dead. They took his body and they did an autopsy on it. And everything in the autopsy said that he died from being frozen to death, hypothermia. Only problem was is the refrigerated boxcar wasn't working. And the temperature inside the car was 61 degrees. And there was tons of oxygen. But he had taken a thought, and that thought so consumed him that he believed that thought to be true. And his life completely spiraled out of control. You say, well, Todd, that's an extreme case. I mean, come on, that that doesn't happen very often. And you're right, that is absolutely an extreme case. But think about all the times that you've taken some fear in your life and you've made it bigger than it needed to be. There was a little boy and his mom asked him to go and, and, and get an iron up the street from the neighbors up the street a ways. And so little boy, he got in, he walked up the gravel road. He was scared to death, though. He'd just heard some stories about a snake called the Black Racer. 
This black racer snake was a dangerous thing. It would come out of weeds. It would come out of ditches. It would chase down its victim from behind, and it would snap him and hit him with their poisonous venom. So that little guy, you can just imagine, he's walking up and down the street, you know, he's just taking his, and he's just up this gravel road, and there's a ditch over here, and there's weeds everywhere, and every time he feels something move around, every time a breeze comes by, he's just kind of jumpy, he's just kind of scared, because that black racer's going to jump out and it's going to get him. Well, he gets to the house, he, he borrows the iron, he turns back around, he gets no more than 100 yards away from that house, and he feels like there's something following him. So he turns around, and sure enough, it's a black racer coming right at him. So he begins to run just as fast as he possibly can. And the faster he runs, the more he feels that snake brushing up against him, brushing up against his leg again and again and again. And the kid is absolutely freaking out. And when he finally realizes, I can't run any farther, I can't run any faster, I'm going to have to face this snake. So he turns around, and there's the snake right in front of him. So he kicks the snake, and the snake comes right up, hits him on his forehead, then comes right down, hits him on his leg. It was then that he realized that he was running from the iron cord. <laughs> now you laugh at that. You say, that's funny. I can't believe that little boy did that. How many times have you done the same thing? How many sleepless nights have you had? How many times have you let fear and its cousin worry, which we'll talk more about next week, get the best of you? To where you run scenarios in your mind and, and you get all nervous and all scared and you toss and you turn in your bed and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you just make yourself absolutely sick. Wait a second. I thought God was your refuge and strength. I thought he was an ever-present help in times of trouble. I thought we had faith. Faith that overcame our fear. Let me help you with this one a little bit. Let me tell you what fear does. <clears throat> fear talks in generalities. You ever notice that? You start to get this sense that something isn't right, that something isn't going the way that you hoped that it would. And so it's this general feeling that you have. And so you begin to be concerned. You begin to be fearful about it. What you have to do when you start feeling that spirit of fear is you got to get specific about it. What, what specifically is going on here? What specifically has got me upset? What specifically am I afraid of? Name it. Put a name on it. Move it from being a general thought to a specific thing. And then ask yourself this question. Is there anything I can do about this? Is there someone I need to talk to? Is there someone I need to apologize to? Is there something that I can do to fix this situation, to alleviate this fear? And if you get to the conclusion that there's nothing you can do, then you take that thought captive and you make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And you remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And that he's going to take care of it because God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Now that's what we do when we have a general feeling of fear. But what about when you're thinking about your fear and you can put a name on it? And it's a very specific fear. How do, how do we attack that one? How do we overcome that one? I mean, the layoffs at the job are really happening. The marriage isn't everything that you hoped that it would be, and both of you know it. Your child is continuing to rebel, and you feel like you don't know what to do, and you feel paralyzed in fear as to what the future for that child is going to be. What do we do in those particular situations? Well, let's look at a passage of Scripture 
in Exodus chapter 14. Now, let me set this up. Moses has led the children of Israel. They're heading out into the wilderness. God has led them to where the Red Sea is at. And the Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, has changed his mind. He wants his slaves back because his economy in Egypt is going to tank if he doesn't bring his slaves back. So he gets all of his chariots together and they go chasing after the the, uh, Israelite people to bring them back home. Look at what happens in this passage of scripture. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they came. All right, this is not some made-up fear. This is legit. This is real. This isn't Nick in the uh, refrigerated car. This isn't the kid running away from the ironing cord. They can hear the Egyptians coming. They can hear the rumble of the tires. They can hear the, the sound of the horses. They can see the dust cloud that's forming in the horizon. This is legitimate as a fear as you're ever going to get. They did two things wrong, and they had one wrong perspective. You ready for the first thing they did wrong? They panicked when they should have prayed. At the first sign of fear, what should you do? Well, they panicked. They're actually freaking out, and they're screaming at Moses. I can't believe you left us here. I can't believe we're all going to die out here in the wilderness. We should have been back in the been slaves forever and ever and ever. Oh, my God. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's like an auctioneer, don't I? That's what we do. We panic when we should pray. And what did they do? They began to talk to each other. And when they began to talk to each other with their misinformation and their lack of faith, what happened? Fear grew in the camp. And everybody began to spiral. And everybody began to get out of control. Friends, listen, there's nothing wrong with talking to somebody about your fear. Nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's a very cathartic thing to do. But that friend, that spouse, that person that you're talking to about your fear probably can't change what you're facing. But I know one who can. You see, you can sit around and you can panic and you can talk about it until you're blue in the face. And boy, we've done a lot of that the past year, haven't we? How many conversations have we had about all the fears that we've got? Hadn't changed a doggone thing. But you can pray. You can seek the face of the one who's in control. You can seek the face of the King of kings and the Lord of lords where nothing is impossible with him. You can ask him to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ever dreamed or imagined. You can ask him to put a spirit of of power and self-control inside of you so that you will not be afraid because God is your refuge. God is your strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Oh, these people, they just start going absolutely crazy. Let me tell you the second thing they did wrong. They worried when they should have worshipped. Look what the Bible says here. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
All right, the cousin of fear is worry. So fear and worry is starting to overwhelm you. What should you do? Well, you can sit around and worry and be fearful. You can make yourself sick. You can have another sleepless night. I mean, you can call everybody on the phone and tell everybody about your problems and your worries and your fears. They're not going away. Or you can worship. You can worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We talk about defiant faith around here, don't we? Though the earth tremble, though the mountains quake, blessed be the name of the Lord. What should you do to drown out your worries? What should you do to get rid of your fears? Crank up some praise tunes. Crank it up in your car and roll down the windows and let everybody on the intersection think you're absolutely nuts because you are. Sing with everything you've got. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Memorize scripture. Meditate upon scripture. Fill your mind with the word of God and not the word of CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. Focus on his promises. These people are so focused on the problems, they're not focused on the promises of God. And so they're freaking out. They're worried. They don't know what they're going to do. If they would just fix their eyes on God, their fears would melt away. Let me tell you what worry and fear does. It makes your problem, makes your situation look much bigger than it really is. It even makes your problem look so big that even your God can't take care of it. So many of us are walking around with this giant of fear and this giant of worry. And everywhere we go, it just follows us. And your God is so small. Your God is so puny. But I always our God is our refuge and our strength, right? An ever-present help in times of trouble. There's a story by Robert Louis Stevenson. It's a story of a storm, and he describes that the storm is right off the coast. This captain is navigating the ship right off of the coast, and it's bad. And it looks like things are just going to absolutely implode. Things are going to absolutely fall apart. And people on board the ship are getting more and more nervous, more and more afraid. And finally, they're sitting around. They're all talking about it. And, of course, the fear gets greater as every crashing wave hits against them. So one guy says, listen, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find the captain and find out what in the world is going on. So he fights his way up the staircases and around the different way to get to the bridge where the captain is at. He knocks on the door and nobody answers. He knocks again, still nobody answers. Finally, he just opens up the door. And he sees the captain. And he's navigating the ship. And he's got the biggest smile on his face from one ear to the other. It's like he's having the time of his life. And the man shut the door. And he went back down. He said, I have seen the face of the captain. And all is well. We don't have anything to be afraid of. What does Hebrews chapter 12 tell us to do? It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. You have that defiant faith where you have this laser beam intensity that you're going to look into the face of Jesus and when you look into the face of Jesus you know that everything's going to be all right everything is going to be okay 
Can I let you on a little perspective that the uh, children of Israel missed? God led them to this. God was the one leading Moses to the Red Sea. God knew that Pharaoh was going to go after them again. It's as if God placed them in a position, well, he kind of stuck them between a rock and a hard place, didn't he? Does that bug you a little bit? That God would lead someone to this type of situation? So we got to ask ourselves the question, why did God do it? Well, the children of Israel really didn't know God very well. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to take you to a place where you have to depend upon me. I'm going to take you to a place where you have to rely upon me. I'm going to stick you literally between a rock and a hard place, and I'm going to have to intervene for you. And you're going to see my power, and you're going to see my strength, and you're going to see my glory. And when you see the power and the strength and the majesty and the glory of God, you won't be afraid anymore. That giant of fear that's following you, could it be that God led you there? That God led you there just to prepare you, to strengthen your faith for what lies ahead, even greater things? We have to be bold. We have to be strong. We have to be courageous to be the people that God wants us to be. And we proclaim it all the time. God is my refuge and my strength, ever-present help in times of trouble. And then we cower in fear and scared to death all the time. We take our eyes off of him. And whenever you take your eyes off of him, well, what happened to Peter? He steps out of the boat. He's walking on the water. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. But when the storm clap came, and the waves buffeted against him. He took his eyes off. That's what the Bible says. He took his eyes off Jesus. And Jesus immediately grabbed him because Peter began to sink. And you know what he said? Oh, you have little faith. Could it be that God has brought you to this situation in this time, sticking you between a rock and a hard place just so he can show himself to you that he is able, that he is big enough, that he is strong enough. And he wants to see what you're going to do. Are you going to freak out? Are you going to panic or are you going to pray? Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? Moses realizes he's got himself a, a bad situation going on here. And so he turns to the people. And I want you to see what he says. Don't be afraid. Stop this. Stop this spiraling. Stop making the fear bigger than our great God. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. What will you see? You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then he says this. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Your fear will not solve your problem. It will only make you sick. And it will cause your faith to weaken. So don't you dare be afraid. You stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of our great God. And why will you see it? Because our God will fight for us. What do you need to do? You need to be still. What does that mean? It means you need to calm down. He's in control. He's still on the throne. 
He's never said, oops. He's never said, what? He knows what he's doing. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. My brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's not doing something to you, friend. God's doing something through you. He's getting you ready for what's ahead. And he knows what he needs you to become. He needs you to be a warrior. He needs you to be steadfast. He needs you to fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. He wants to show his glory to you. He wants to show his strength to you. He wants to do infinitely, exceedingly, abundantly greater things than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think Deuteronomy 31.6 is an appropriate response to this message. You be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You know why I love that verse so much? Because it says the Lord our God will be with us. He goes before us and he's with us. He's already ahead of you. He's already preparing the path. It's going to be okay. I can be strong and courageous because I know that Jesus is in control. I can be strong and courageous because I know he's going to use it for my good and for his glory. I can be strong and courageous because I know that my God fights for me. I could be strong and courageous because he never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a scar. So the bully of fear comes against you. You won't let him keep pushing you around. God is your refuge. God is your strength. Ever-present help in times of trouble. It's time for the bully to get what's coming to him, don't you think? Twelve of you are like, yes, let's get the bully. And the rest of you are like, I don't know, I'm pretty freaking out right now. I'm scared to death. Greg Laurie tells a story. I love this story. He was a kid, and he played with cap guns. Remember when you could play with cap guns? Well, that was a lot of fun back in the day. Cap guns is a lot of fun. He's out, he's shooting his little cap guns, you know, left and right, just having a wonderful time. A couple of kids up the street saw him with his cap guns, and they decided they wanted the cap guns. Well, both those kids were a couple of grades older than him. They were bigger than him. There was two of them, just one of him. And guess what they did? They decided they were going to take his cap guns from him. And Greg wasn't too excited about it. They pushed him to the ground. They took off his holster. They took his cap guns from him. And then they laughed at him as he ran home crying. He sat there in his bedroom and thought, what am I going to do? I've just lost my cap guns to a couple of bullies down the street. And then he remembered something. I have a big brother. So he walked down the hallway, knocked on the door of his brother's room. He walked in. It's obvious that Greg had been crying. Big brother said, what's going on? Why are you crying? He said, well, there's some bullies down the street, and they stole my cap guns. 
big brother looked at the little brother, Greg, and he said, nobody picks on you but me. Let's go get your cap guns. So sure enough, they walk down the street. They can't find them. So the big brother says, be real quiet. Listen. And off in the distance, they heard those two kids snapping off those cap guns. They followed the sound, and they found the two boys. Greg said, I stood there. And I said, I want my cap guns back. He said, but this time... I wasn't quivering in fear. They were. Because I was standing in the strength and in the presence of my big brother. And my big brother was letting them know that they need to let the cap guns back to their rightful owner. You're never going to eliminate fear. It's always going to raise its ugly head. But don't you forget that you have the Holy Spirit of God that's living inside of you and that you stand in the presence of God Almighty. And there is nothing, nothing that you are ever going to face that he can't handle. And what are you so freaked out about? He's already conquered death. He's already conquered the grave. My goodness, when you breathe your last breath on this earth because of Jesus, you'll breathe your first breath in heaven. And I can promise you this, that place is a whole lot better than this one. So you be strong. You be courageous. Our God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. It's time the bully of fear gets what's coming to him. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're scared about everything. Real fears, not real fears. We panic. We worry. We have sleepless nights. We make ourselves sick. We forget that you even exist. We don't call out to you as a first resort. It's always a last resort. We try to navigate our life and our world in our own little strength and our own little power. And no wonder we are so exhausted. No wonder we're so fatigued. No wonder we're so tired. Oh God, be our refuge and be our strength. Be that ever-present help in times of trouble. Help us to recognize that greater are you that is in us than anything that comes against us in this world. We are more than conquerors because of you. May we never forget that fear is a liar. I ask this in Jesus' name.